Thanks, Ulrich and the team, for uh, leading us this morning. If you'd like to turn in your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 4. We're going to continue our series this morning, The Death of Division, which obviously we're going to be watching remotely from here on. So um, we'll try and tune in where we can and uh, link in with you that way. Um, before we do uh, st- uh, dive into God's Word this morning and read it, I want to just say a couple of things uh, before we go. Um, obviously, you've already heard I was going to say something about it, but it's already very clear that we're going away, and we would really value your prayers um, for that time. Uh, yeah, just be really grateful if you would keep us in your prayers um, in lots of ways that we might return to you replenished and ready to go with whatever God has for us as a church going forward. Um, but I also want to say how grateful I am for the team that we have here as well um, as I go. Um, the staff in Justin and Tim, Justin's coming on an extra day while I'm gone just to add a bit more support. Um, together with uh, Katie and Eddie, I'm pretty sure you know already they're such a blessing as a team. Uh, to have a really great united team is not something you want to take for granted and we do have that. And uh, it's a huge blessing. And so I want to encourage you to pray for them and encourage them and support them in these next three months and make it as easy as possible for them uh, to continue to serve uh, you with uh, extra responsibilities that they might have um, as a result. So if you can do things like the safe ministry check, you know, just go and get it done. Don't, don't wait for them to chase you up and that sort of stuff. Make it as easy as possible for them if you can. Um, that would be great. And also super grateful for our elders and deacons, which again are such a blessing. And again, it's not something we ought to take for privilege that we have a united uh, team of people that help us uh, in lots of different ways. Uh, and again, please pray for them as they shoulder a lot on behalf of the church. Um, uh, so make sure you uphold them in prayer as well over these next few months. All right, let's dive into Ephesians chapter 4. We're going to be reading verse 17 through to 32, but our focus is on verse 25 to 32 this morning. We looked at the first half of this section last week, and this week we're going to look at the second half. So I'm reading from the ESV, Ephesians 4, verse 17 and following. Paul writes, Now this I say and testify in the Lord that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles walk in the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart. They have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. But that is not the way you learned Christ, assuming that you've heard about him and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus. To put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt, through deceitful desires, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds, and to put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. Verse 25, Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak truth with his neighbour, for we are members of one another. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger, and give no opportunity to the devil. Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labour, doing honest work with his own hands, so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up, as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. 
And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness, wrath and anger and clamour and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, even as God in Christ forgave you. Let's pray. Father, thanks so much for this opportunity that we've had already this morning to gather in the name that is above every name, the name of the Lord Jesus. And now we want to come and have you speak to us from your word, again in your kindness, for our good and for your glory. So please, Lord, would you take your Holy Spirit, would he be our teacher, and that you would take your word and bring it home to us, particularly and specifically where we need it, for we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, this morning, as I've kind of alluded to, we're already in, we're in part two of what we might call our call to holiness in Christ. Our call to holiness in Christ. Last week, we saw that when we come to know Jesus, our walk, that is the trajectory of our lives, the direction of our lives, the shape of our lives, the focus of our lives, is to be completely changed. We have new life when we become Christians in Christ that transforms us from the inside out. Our lives are being renewed. Uh, as chapter 4, verse 24, I think it is, said, says, they are, our lives are recreated in the likeness of God to be like Jesus in true righteousness and holiness. So... As a result of all that, our walk, our direction of life is to be in a manner worthy of the calling that we've received in the gospel. So last week we saw that we're called to holiness because we have new life in Christ. We've been called to a holy life because we have new life in Christ. And I want to say, I just want to remind us, friends, that this is so, so liberating, isn't it? Because what we see is that holy living is not a white-knuckle marathon of our will. It's not, it's not separate to our will, but that's not primarily what it's about. It's, a, it's, more, it's about a change of direction that we live out together as people who are being made new by Jesus. So it's not about us trying constantly not to do the things that deep down we, we really want to do but rather about now doing the things we now want to do because Jesus has made us new. I may have, may have mentioned this to you before, but before I became a Christian for quite a few years, I held off uh, seeking further into becoming a Christian because I thought, I'll have to give up this, I'll have to give up this, I'll have to stop doing that, I'll have to give up that, and I'll have to give up that. And all this time later, I finally, God finally got hold of me and I finally got converted and became a Christian and was born again. And suddenly I realised, ah, I actually don't want to do those things that I thought I would have to give up anyway. It's like, ah, why do I wait so long? Right? What was going on there? Well, there was a change that I didn't anticipate that God was bringing about internally as he saved me from my sins, both their penalty but also their power. And he starts to change our desires. And so we have new wants, new longings, and that's where holiness can begin. Not only is it liberating, though, but it's also quite challenging. 
Because what we see is that Christianity is more than just ticking some religious boxes, which we are kind of prone to fall into. It's about being born again, to use Jesus' words. It's about the death, death to life spiritually. It's about being saved by grace, not by anything that we've done, through faith, and about being raised with Christ, that we are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works which he's prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So it's challenging. We can't just kind of have this religious veneer and think we're there because that we're not. That's why Jesus says to Nicodemus, the religious man who comes to him and says a whole bunch of things, and Jesus says, if you want to enter the kingdom, you must be born again. A religious veneer will not do. So it's challenging because if that's not us, if we're in the boat of ticking just a few religious boxes, then it's likely that we haven't been made new yet by Jesus. And actually, that's the place we need to start, not trying to be holy. We need to come to him that he might make us new first. The reality is this. We cannot live a new life in Christ if we first haven't been made new by Christ. We just can't do it. We don't have it in us. And for some of us, that might be the place to start. And that's a great place to start, to respond to those very words from Jesus you must be born again. Come and put your hope and trust in me. Throw all hope in yourself and your own kind of moral uh, endeavours away and come and put your hope and trust in me. I'm going to die for you on the cross. I have died for you on the cross and I'm going to rise again to bring you new life. Why bother with your efforts, which is so minimal compared to that? Come and put your hope and trust in me and I will make you new. And then you can live differently. You see, when it comes to holiness, and it's clear here in God's work in, word in Ephesians, this is true. Someone said this recently, I came across, I think it was Alistair Begg. He says, when you look at Ephesians and when you look at what holiness is in the New Testament, this sums it up really well. We're no longer to live as we once lived. Why? Because we are no longer what we once were. Beautiful, isn't it? What a great summary. We're no longer to live as we once lived because we are no longer what we once were. So the question is, are you no longer what you once were? Have you come to Christ in the first place so that he would transform you and save you out of that and make you new and so you now live differently because you're not what you once were? That's the probing question, isn't it? And this is the foundation, if you like, of the New Testament vision of holy living as God's people. So, I say all that because the danger is we come to a passage like this that has some specific instructions around our behaviour and we turn them into a bunch of rules that we need to follow rather than something we're living out as people made new. So even as we come to this passage, Paul's about to drill down into some pretty, de pretty kind of nitty-gritty details in our lives from our words to our, our outbursts of anger and so on. But even as he does it, it's all based on the fact that they are new in Christ. Notice even the first verse, verse 25, what does he say? Therefore, therefore, having put 
away falsehood, past tense, but also the word therefore. Anybody know what you, the question you're supposed to ask when you see the word therefore in the text? What's the therefore therefore? Right? That's the question you want to ask every time you see it. Because it's connecting something, it's related to something, and he's connecting what he's just said previously, which is what? Verse 22, to be renewed in the spirit of your minds and to put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness, therefore, having put away falsehood, speak truth, the truth, everyone with his neighbour, for we are members of one another. <clears throat> Look at verse 25 again. He highlights something else about what God has done for us in giving us new life. You see it there? Right at the very end. We're to speak truth with one another, for we are members of one another. Members of one another. What's that about? Well, Paul's drawing on this concept that we are the body of Christ. That we've been united to Christ as we've come to Jesus, joined to him by faith, but also joined to one another in this body. And so there's behaviours and ways of relating to one another that are appropriate from people who have been united to Christ and brought into this one body. Not only that, verse 30. It's got to be, and we'll get to it, but this is so awesome, this verse. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Here Paul's giving all these practical instructions and in the midst of it he says, and do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God for which you've been sealed with the day, for the day of redemption. What's, what's he kind of focusing on there? Well, if you think just back a page in Ephesians, have a listen to this in chapter 1, verse 13. He says, in him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed... That is, when you were converted, when you became a Christian, when you put your hope and trust in Jesus and his gospel, what happened? You were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire the possession of it. He's talking about the fact that you've been sealed with the Spirit when you become a Christian, that God's Spirit is now with you and in you. And so as I give you these practical commands about holiness and holy living, one of the biggest things I'm going to bring as a motivator is that you might not grieve God's Spirit who is with you and in you and by whom you've been sealed to make sure you get to the end. You see what he's doing? It's not just a list of rules that you, can t you need to tick off. It's a new life that you're to live out. This is what it means to be the new people of God made new by Christ. And so out of this comes uh, the imperatives, if, if you like, or the, the commands that we find here. So what's the first one? As members of one body and people sealed with the Holy Spirit and indwelt by God's Spirit, what's the first one that he gives us? Well, put away falsehood, he says, or having put away falsehood. Speak the truth to one another because we're members of one body put away falsehood we're to live together as people transformed by the truth as it is in Jesus and so we're to be truthful people speaking truth to one another 
Sounds pretty straightforward, doesn't it? But let's kind of drill down a little bit into what that looks like. That means we're not to be deceitful. Or inauthentic, is that a word? We're not to present as one thing and thinking and deep down another. We're to be humble and honest and real with each other. Not kind of, you know, keeping our cards close to our chest so that at some point when it's when it works in our favour, we'll bring out the big one and put down something that catches everybody by surprise that we've, always, that we've thought for a long time, but we've not been very truthful about it. We're not to kind of keep our powder dry, so to speak. Have you ever, have you ever been in a conversation where something comes out of left field and you realise it was from three years ago and, and, and you've been kind of doing life with that person and boom, where'd that come from? I know we're to be truthful and honest in our relationships with one another. Why? Because we belong as members. We're joined in this body of Christ. And so there's to be a level of openness and honesty and authenticity between us. The next one in verse 26 and 27. We're to be careful with our anger, really careful with our anger. What does he say? Verse 26 and 27. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity for the devil. It's interesting, isn't it? Notice he doesn't say get rid of anger. Anger itself is actually not wrong. God himself is angry. He's angry at sin and injustice and wickedness and abuse and you name it. It's called it's his righteous anger against things. But unlike him who always expresses his anger perfectly and righteously, we are more likely, unless you're radically different to me, to express our anger sinfully and harmfully. So we're to be very careful. We're to be extremely wary of anger and the harm that we may cause with it. In fact, notice Paul says if we're angry, we need to deal with it fairly promptly. Before the sun goes down, essentially. I remember when Michelle and I first got married. I haven't told her I was going to share this, so it's a good thing we're going on long service leave. But... Um, <laughs> But when we first got married, I think one, the first couple of nights, I can't remember which night it was, but we had an argument and we went to bed, back to back. <laughs> Sun's well and truly gone down by this point. Fortunately, I couldn't stand it. So within two minutes, I'm like, oh, this is stupid. That's sort of, we've never done it again, praise God. And then we tried to do it again. didn't work anyway, even when we did try. But why would you not let the sun go down on your anger? Because if you don't, it smoulders. It smoulders away. And worse, we give the devil an opportunity to get a foothold in that relationship, whatever relationship it is. 
we give him a foothold. I don't know whether you've seen the movie Troy, I'm sure most of you have. I can't remember all the details, but I do remember this great wooden Trojan horse that enters the city with everyone enamoured with it, not worrying too much about it, fairly complacent about it, and out of it flies an army and destroys the city. That's the picture here. Anger can be like a Trojan horse that gives opportunity to the evil one to do harm among God's people. So Paul says, yes, be angry if, you, if you're angry about the right things, but watch how you express it, and whatever you do, don't let it continue. Deal with it. So that's anger. Verse 28. That's an interesting one, isn't it? Maybe we can skip over this one. Let the thief no longer steal. But rather let him labour doing honest work with his own hands so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. Clearly speaking to those who, before they came to know Jesus, were forever on the take. You've got to remember there was very little social support those days. So they were probably people who were walking through maybe the local market and kind of you know, taking stuff and running. I don't know what they were particularly doing. But Paul now says, no, no, let them stop that, start working, get a job and, you know, Start being givers rather than takers. That's the difference the gospel is going to make in their lives. It's going to transfer them from people who are always on the take to people who are looking for opportunities to give. And it would be easy for us to skip over it, wouldn't it? You know, maybe uh, there's not that many modern-day thieves among us. You know, haven't seen many police cars turning up here on a Sunday with arrest warrants. But do we have the potential to always be thinking about how we can gain rather than how we might give? I think it's the default human condition, isn't it? How we can get more and more for ourselves so that we can be secure. Perhaps so that we can be successful. Perhaps so that we can indulge in whatever we desire whenever we desire it. I wonder, do we have the potential to hold on to all that God has given us for ourselves when what he's done for us, he has done so that we might be generous, so that we might be able to give? What's clear is that a life made new by Jesus is actually marked by generosity. Generosity of spirit, generosity of resources, generosity of heart. We've got our giving day coming up next week. That's an opportunity for us to think, yeah, am I looking for an opportunity to give? Or am I just blocking that out as I hear it announced or I see an envelope or whatever? I'm like, blah, 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 I can't hear you. You know? Or is my heart like, oh, okay, yeah, I'll pray about that. That might be, that might be something I can do. Not just our giving day, but our general giving or our serving opportunities. That's all giving, isn't it? You know, or even the conversation after the gathering with someone who might be on their own, standing there with no one talking to them. Do I just go, oh, I'm on the take, I've got to get my coffee and I'm going to see my friends? Or am I on the giving side and I'm going to go, ah, oh, my heart's feeling for that person sitting there and I'm actually going to give. Maybe feel a bit uncomfortable and a bit awkward, but I'll, I'll take that, that's okay because I want to reach out to this person and then maybe draw them into a conversation with some others or you know, fill in the blanks. 
giving. And then verse 29, it gets super practical at this point. If you don't squirm during this next one, like I have, then we're not hearing what God is saying here. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such is good for building up as fits the occasion that it may give grace to those who hear. So as those who are made new in Christ, (laughs) how new are your words? God's putting his finger on it, isn't he? On what comes out of our mouths here. And what we see in this text is the potential that our words have for either good or harm. Either way. See, Paul's clear that what we actually say can corrupt one another in the body of Christ. That's frightening, don't you think? Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouth. Ouch. You know, why is that so serious? Well, because what God is doing is saving people and transforming people and bringing them together around his son in the body of Christ with the goal of making them more and more like Jesus until one day together with a multitude that we cannot count will stand before Jesus. And I, can, I can't undo that because God will achieve what he's set out to do. But he's calling me to align my words with his purpose for his people. Which I can do. Notice what it says? It's not just negative. Don't let some corrupting talk come out of your mouth. But only such is good for building up. Oh, Oh, hang on a minute. So there's the prohibition, but there's the opportunity. My words can build people up. My words can jump in with what God's doing and kind of be part of it. And the last little bit's just beautiful, isn't it? That it may give grace to those who hear. Ah. <gasps> I might change how I think about my conversations. (coughs) Might change what I decide not to say and what I deliberately choose to say. I might actually go out of my way to say to someone, hey, I really thank God for his grace in you that I see and that I've experienced. I might be deliberately encouraging. Wouldn't (laughs) Wouldn't that be amazing if we were all like that? Because I know that what I say can build people up and they can experience grace through that. And that's an opportunity that God has put right in front of each one of us that we can take hold of. Wow. Church is a pretty impressive thing, isn't it? When you kind of see what, how God's kind of made it, what he, what he intends for it, what he desires for it. And yes, we mess it up and we're always imperfect and whatever, but let's not put up the white flag and surrender and go, oh, well, we're just hopeless and we're never going to do it. No, no, let's, let's pursue it. What comes next? Verse 29, verse 30. Yeah, it's that verse, isn't it? Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God for who you were sealed for the day of redemption. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit. 
not doing those things and doing some of that and doing some of the things that are there grieves him because as i've said god is clear in what he wants among us and what he's working to bring about in giving us this new life we are sealed with the spirit we are built together for a dwelling place of the spirit we're sealed for the day of redemption by the spirit can i just say i think this is this verse verse 30 is probably one of the strongest weapons we have in our pursuit of holiness in our struggle and our fight against sin and our call to put it to death i reckon this is one of the strongest weapons we've got if you're a, if you're a father amongst us this morning and you've you've got daughters growing up or children growing up not just daughters children growing up amongst you i think one of the things that you hope if you're anything like me is that the strength of the relationship that you have with that child will be one of the things maybe the most powerful thing that in the heat of the moment cause to say no i'm not going i'm not going i'm not going to make that choice whatever that choice might be because that would grieve my father who i love so much and who loves me so much that's far more powerful than don't do that that's why i think this is super powerful in our pursuit of holiness that to go in that direction brings our father joy to do some of these other things grieves him and he's a good father there's no one like him how has he treated us how kind has he been to us he's adopted us he's made us his own his very own children who can cry out to him abba father so why would we grieve him we do and then even then he's forgiving and so the strength of not grieving him gets even more when he's forgiven you again super powerful in helping us live for jesus and live for his glory so don't grieve him paul says remember who you are remember who you belong to remember who is with you by his spirit remember who is in you by his spirit and live accordingly so as we close this morning we've got these other verses which kind of sum it all up verse 31 and verse 32 they they're the contrast of both right that all bitterness wrath and anger and clamor which is another word for fighting and slander be put away from you along with all malice they are all things that come from an unchanged heart or a corrupt heart you know as god makes you new put that stuff away that's that's your old clothes get rid of them put on the new clothes so kindness tender heartedness forgiveness as god in christ has forgiven you as me close as we close this morning let me ask you as i ask myself do we realize if we have come to trust in christ we are members of one another that we've been united you've been united to jesus as members of his body 
Do we, do we realise that? Is that? Does that actually change the way I engage with church? Does it shape the way I think about it? Does it change the way I walk in the door? Does it change whether I actually walk in the door when I've got other options kind of competing with coming? Will I go, actually, no, I'm part of the body of Christ. I want to be there. You know? Does it change the way you see one another? Because we're always creating us and them, right? Us and them. Us and them. There's us, then there's them. But as I've said before, in this picture, there's no them. There's just us. Not just us. How's your anger going? And in what ways are you sinfully expressing it? Who's copying it? Is it something that is way too often a reality for you? Something that simmers away in you? That goes from sunset to sunset, perhaps as a punishment for whoever it is that's at the object of your anger? Is it something that those close to you experience often? Because it's a Trojan horse. Is it something you need to deal with, to go to God with or to get help for even? I think sometimes when, when people are struggling with anger, they actually need someone to come alongside them as well as go to God with them. Is it something you need to put your hand up about to get help with? It's serious. It's not, oh, I just, you know, yeah, I got a bit grumpy. Everyone gets a bit grumpy. But anger's regular, consistent. It's much more than that, isn't it? What about our heart to give? It's our heart to be generous with what God has given us. Has our default from wanting to gain be transformed into looking to ways to give? As we're able. And what about our words? Do we realise the potential of them, both for harm and for health? How astonishing it is that God would use our words in the building up of one another. That our words can give grace to those who hear. Oh, I just want to say wow to that. That's enough. Oh, that'd be enough for me for church today if I just go home with that idea. And all this because we've been raised with Christ. All this because we've been made new by him. All this because we're indwelt by God himself and sealed for the day by that same Holy Spirit. So friends, we're no longer to live as we once lived because we're no longer what we once were. Let me pray for us, shall I? Father, we come before you this morning and thank you so much again for what we find in your word. Today it's been really encouraging on the one hand about who we are and about what you've done in our lives and are continuing to do and wanting to do, but it's been also significantly challenging as you've 
put your finger on the very details of our lives. Sometimes it's easy for us to kind of avoid in the big picture, but these are not these are the, the nitty gritty things. Our words, our our emotions, our our tempers, our generosity, our heart, our truthfulness, our honesty. Father, Lord, you know each one of us better than we know ourselves. And so we would ask that whatever it is that you've uh, put your finger on today in our lives, that we would take it seriously, that we might repent even this morning. We might, we might resolve to turn from this and turn to you afresh and maybe enlist the help of another brother or sister if we need it, just for encouragement, to spur one another on. And Father, as you've encouraged us, if we're here this morning, we, we don't really realise how loved we are by you and how much you have done and are doing and what you are making us through your Son, Jesus. Please help us to see that more clearly and to rejoice in that, perhaps that just that little bit more deeply, that we might praise you and have fresh motivation to not grieve your spirit but to live in such a way that brings you our good and gracious Father joy and is rich for us. Father, we ask all these things in your awesome name and we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.